Hello and welcome back to this week's edition of X's and Opinions presented by WSU Sports. I am your host, John Height, and joining me for this week is the great Bobby Steiner and Joe Matthews, where today we have a very busy episode with a couple of sports worth of stuff to talk about. First and foremost, I'll start with you, Bobby. How are you doing? I, I can't complain. I just got back from Jersey 15, 20 minutes ago, but I'm excited to talk some sports with my boys. You know, lots going on with baseball and hockey and stuff. Just so super, super excited to talk about it. I'm right there with Mr. Steiner. Uh, it's a uh, it's a great day for some sports. Uh, a lot of good things going on in the sports world. I mean, we're kind of in that lull where there's only baseball going on, but I like baseball, and you know, there's still some fun conversations to be had about all those other sports that are in their off season now. So. It should be a, a great episode. Definitely will be. And like you mentioned, Joe, obviously baseball is, is getting to you know the good part of the season with a lot of games been going on. Um, but for this episode, we're going to focus on the Yankees and Mets and also the all-star voting. We'll start with that where we're going to break down who we think should be the starters at this phase of the all-star voting. And then we'll cap things off with the NHL awards that were announced as of of today's recording which is on june 26th so by the time you hear this everything will be done and we're just going to recap um and give our thoughts on who exactly you know should have won who ended up winning and all that good stuff but we'll start out with the all-star voting so the way the mlb all-star voting works phase one is already completed these are the people that have a chance at the all-star game and again it is voted by the fans so for the next couple of minutes we're going to go through all the positions um with People that have, you know, two players per uh, position and, you know, only one of them could be the starter. So we're going to give our thoughts on who the starter should be, you know, regardless before the, the fans get a chance to vote. Um, obviously, Shohei Otani in the AL, Ronald Acuna Jr. of the NL, the top vote getters, they're automatically in. So we're not going to talk about them. We'll just go through the positions and also the outfield. So starting in the American League. Um, we're going to start with the catching position. So two catchers who have a chance to be the starter. We have Adley Rushman of the Orioles and Jonah Heim of the Texas Rangers. So, Joe, I will start with you. Who do you think should be the starter and why? This one is a fun one. Um, I think there's a clear cut winner, but it's still a um, – this is, this is a good, like, you know, one versus two. This is probably one of the more exciting – runoffs in um in this thing because it's two guys who can really be first time all-stars Adley Rushman obviously the phenom for the uh Baltimore Orioles number one overall pick out of Oregon State I mean he was the number one prospect in baseball and he's come up and he's just done nothing but deliver including this year where I mean he's made the case that he's not the best catcher just in the American League but in baseball as a whole I mean 10 homers in his second year in the big leagues at 1.7 war through, you know, the first half of the season here. And again, as a catcher, he's got a, an OPS, just a hair under eight. I mean, like he, he is a bona fide stud player. He's absolutely outstanding. He's got kind of the name value to go with him too, which kind of just, you know, makes it everything that you want for a, a star and an all-star starter. And I think he's ultimately going to be the one who gets the nod, right? And I think he, he would be deserving. It just makes me a little disappointed um, because I would really like to see the other guy in that list, Jonah Heim, get the uh, starting nod. I think he'll probably be the second all-star catcher for the American League regardless uh, because he is honestly having a better season than Adley Rushman. He has a war over two, 
leading American League catchers in that mark. He's got an 814 OPS. He's got 11 homers. I mean, he has absolutely broken out. I mean, this is only his fourth year in the league after kind of a very, very short rookie season in Oakland in 2020. Goes over to Texas and kind of didn't really get regular playing time until last year. And he, he looked decent. He looked solid. Hit like 230. Had a, you know, a little bit of pop, about 20 homers. But he has just turned into an absolutely electric player on a, a Rangers team that also came out of nowhere. I mean, we're going to talk about, I know, a lot of other Rangers players throughout this kind of breakdown of the uh, the All-Star ballot because there's a lot of Texas Rangers who are finalists because they're having a, a borderline historic offensive start to the season. Um, and this guy is, you know, no exception to the many, many names that deserve to be an All-Star. Doing it all at 25 years old, too. I mean, you know, Adley Rushman has the hype. He has, you know, the number one prospect prodigy, the, the college superstar prodigy, you know, effect on him, right? But Jonah Heim is not even a full year older than Adley Rushman, and he's just as good, if not better. So either player would be deserving. In my book, if I had the vote, I'd give to Jonah Heim. Um, I think Adley Rushman's going to be the pick, though, because – you know, they're pretty similar in, in their statistics and how they've been playing. And, you know, Adley, like I said, he just has that outside star factor that kind of pushes him over Jonah Heim. Because Jonah Heim's he's a fantastic player, and I wish that he did get the starting nod so more people would know his name. But as it stands right now, unless you're a Rangers fan or a diehard baseball fan, you probably don't even know who Jonah Heim is, and he's been the best catcher in baseball this year. I'm with Joe on this one when it comes to just – how the race is shaping up. I love both of these switch hitting catchers. Adley Rushman is my guy, but I've loved Jonah Heim for quite a while now. They gave him like a 95 monthly awards in the show. So I, I love both these guys. But when it comes down to it, Adley Rushman just has this, when it comes to being an, MV, like an MLB fan, and I know how the voting process works and the thought process for a lot of people, I'm all over Twitter. There's a certain aura around Adley Rushman that Jonah Heim doesn't really have. Adley Rushman has a certain pull about him. Around the world of baseball, they see him as the Orioles' savior. And from last year onward, he really was the missing piece for the Orioles. He really rejuvenated that franchise to where they are now, where they're in position to be in position in the wild card race. They're once again looked at as not really the laughing stock of the American League anymore. They're see- being seen as more and more of a serious team. And while I see Rushman as getting the start in this, Jonah Heim's season and what he's been doing should not go overlooked by the baseball world. He is a phenomenal player in his own right, but ultimately, I know how MLB fans think and how they end up voting, and I think Rushman ultimately gets the nod. Yeah, unfortunately, we we know, I mean, it's all a popularity contest because the fans are voting regardless, but I mean, Adley Rushman, if there's a person that is going to get it, um, even though maybe Jonah Heim is a little bit more deserving in some categories. I mean, Ali Rushman still has been one of the best catchers in all of baseball. And obviously long term, he probably is the best upside of a catcher in baseball, arguably right now. Um, again, Joe, you ran through a bunch of the stats. Uh, he's also second in the AL with 50 walks to only 47 strikeouts. I mean, this is still elite production. Uh, Jonah Heim also is a big guy. I remember, um, for catching, I mean, just elite pitch framing as well. In addition to the offense, you talk about the defensive elements of catchers as well. Um, a lot of good uh, attributions to both, but I'll also lean um, Adley as the most probable choice to be the starter um, for that position. So moving across the diamond, we'll head to first base. And the two finalists right now are Vladimir Guerrero Jr. of the Blue Jays and Yanni Diaz of the Rays. So we'll head to you, Bobby, first. Who do you think gets the nod? So I'll just start off by saying this is one of the situations where 
fan voting and how it works kind of breaks my heart with my narratives and all that. I've been a big Yandy Diaz guy for quite a while now, so to see him perform the way he has, batting over 316 and doing such a good job on this race team that's become a juggernaut to start the season as we reach the midway point of the year. I do think Yandy Diaz is more deserving when it comes to his performance this season as well. I feel like he's been outperforming Vladimir Guerrero, especially at the plate. But knowing, as John was saying, it's a popularity contest, I do think Vlad is going to get the vote ultimately since he's the name that, even though the Rays are doing what they're doing and performing so well, baseball fans as a whole recognize Vladimir Guerrero more than they recognize the individual players on the Rays. So it's unfortunate that while I think Yandy should be the starter, Vlad is ultimately going to get it. Yeah, I mean, Bobby kind of hit the nail on the head. And, um, you know, we see it every year in in every single sport that does it, right? In the NBA All-Star Game, in the Pro Bowl, and in the NHL, right? And especially in MLB, fan voting sticks. I, I am I'm planting my flag that I, I just, I am very anti-fan voting. Um, you know, sports fans, as a lot of people know, are not rational, pe- rational people. They're just not. And so you can't expect them to objectively judge something like the the All-Star game, which is supposed to be, you know, an objective best players going out there. I mean, this is this is a thing that, you know, players have built into their contracts, right? Players get incentives for their All-Star appearances. It can help them make more money down the road. And we're putting that in the hands of, you know, these these fans who at the end of the day care about their own team because, you know, someone like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. really is the perfect, you know, and like just case of fan voting and what it does, right? He's having a fine season, right? I mean, he's still a great player. He he's been one of the best players in baseball for the past couple of years, right? Almost won the triple crown a couple of years ago. Had another great All Star level season last year, but he kind of fell off a little bit this year. And that doesn't mean that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is bad. It doesn't mean that oh my god, like you know he's he's trending downwards, right? No, he's still a 24 year old superstar or. 24-year-old superstar, right? He's he's absolutely stellar. He's just not having a great year for his standards, you know? And even though he's a superstar, it doesn't doesn't just automatically buy you a bit into the All-Star game, right? There's been there have been players as high profile in the sport as Vlad Guerrero Jr. is right now who have missed All-Star games. It happens every once in a while. You have a down season, you don't play too well, and you know, you get outperformed by some peers, right? That's just what's happening to Vlad right now. He's just just not having the best first base season in in the American League. Really, not one of the top top five first base seasons in the American League. But because he's got Blue Jays fans and the entire country of Canada uh, behind him and voting for him, he's found his way into the top two. And again, you know, it's it's comes down to the kind of popularity contest thing. And you know, with baseball fans, with with a name like Yandy Diaz that he's up against, right? Yandy Diaz is not a name that a lot of people know because he's really kind of breaking out for the first time this year. He's never been an all-star before. So when people who maybe aren't following the game that closely and, you know, aren't really diving into the stats deeply, they're going to say, oh, you know what? Let me put in my bid for the all-star game. And they'll see Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who they know as the near triple crown winner from a couple of years ago, or this guy Yandy Diaz, who they've never heard of. They're going to vote for Vlad. And so I think it's it's very, very probable that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. winds up winning this and, and becoming the all-star starter. Um, I actually, in terms of, you know, who I'd vote for, I'd vote for Yandy Diaz. He's outperforming Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in every single, basically, offensive set category. He's hitting 316 on the season. He is just 
one of the best players in the American League right now, um, the best team in baseball right now in the Tampa Bay Rays. So he deserves to be in the All-Star game. He will, regardless, even if he's not starting. Um, I think he will eventually start, though, because even with, you know, the extra boost from Blue Jays fans that got Vladdy into kind of this final runoff, Yali Diaz really had the gap closed. Like, it was a couple, just a couple hundred thousand, I think, that he was behind Guerrero. And I think a lot of baseball fans also kind of see what's going on and see that Toronto fans are just stacking the ballot and are going to vote against that. And so I think that, you know, with some of those extra votes now that there's only two candidates to vote for, I, th- I think Diaz will be able to edge it out and beat Guerrero. I hope he does. Um, because, again, it, it's just kind of, you know, an issue I sometimes have with just any all-star game across any sport, right, where obviously – you know, you want the stars to be in the game because it's the all-star game, right? You you want Vlad Guerrero Jr. to be in the game, right? Because he's one of the most exciting, marketable young stars in baseball. But just because he is that doesn't give him a free pass. And we see that a lot of times in a lot of other sports leagues where, you know, guys just have that name value and people think of, oh, he's great. Of course he has to be in the all-star game, even when they don't deserve it. I don't think Vladdy deserves to be in the all-star game this year. You know, depending on what, what metrics you like, um, Gary Sanchez has more war than Vlad Guerrero Jr. this year. Take that information for what you will. Again, it's not a knock on, on Vladdy. He's still a great player, still one of the best players and one of the most exciting players in the league. He's just had a bad first half, and I don't think that he should be rewarded for that just because he's had great seasons in the past and he's a marketable star. I think Yandy Diaz should get the bid. Um Again, we'll see because the Blue Jays fans, as again, we'll, we'll we'll see later on. They are really doing a very impressive voting push. Yeah, and I mean, one stat about Vlad, I want to just bring it, bring up real quick before we head to the next uh, position. I'm pretty sure he had his first home run at home. I think within the last week or so, maybe two weeks. So I mean, he was slumping in terms of power, but again, on the season, he's still batting 284. 49 RBIs, you know, the power is slowly starting to, to come around. But, yeah, I mean, I think we're all in agreement. Yanni Diaz deserves the spot, but, you know, the whole country of Canada behind you, the name value, I mean, Vlad is going to be the pick. But let's go to second base. So we talked about the Blue Jays effect already, you know, infiltrating another position. We have Mark Simeon of the Rangers and Whit Merrifield of the Blue Jays. So these are the two options for the American League second base spot. And, Joe, I'll let you start with this one. Yeah, this one is, I think, one of the more clear-cut, easy options that you don't really need a lot to, uh, to talk about. With Merrifield, he's he's made it into the ballot, kind of like Vlad Guerrero Jr., um, because of Blue Jays fans, and they are stacking the ballot, and they put a, a large, large force behind them to kind of help get him into this final two spots. Again, he, he's having a fine season, right? He, he's, you know, one of the more underrated players in baseball, I think. Really great contact, bad hitting a hair under 300. But I don't know. He's He's got a 700 OPS, his OPS plus, um, which is a, a stat that I believe in, um, is only a hair above league, above league average. Again, a player like Vlad this year, having a fine season. They're not bad. They're not playing bad at all. Just not all-star level, especially when you compare it to Marcus Simeon, who, I mean, is starting to build, I mean, well, the AL MVP is already kind of locked up with, with Shohei Otani, but let's say there's a universe where, you know, Shohei is not around or not doing what he's doing. Marcus Simeon would be 
building an MVP case for himself because he's having an outstanding, outstanding season. Already over three war at, you know, not even really close to the all-star break yet. 54 RBIs leading the league in runs. He's played in pretty much almost every game, a 280 batting average, an 800 OPS. I mean, he, he's just a star. He's getting the duns on both sides of the ball. He's just, he's killing teams when he goes up against them. He has been such a force all season. Um, so I think that it, it's kind of an easy, you chalk in Marcus Simeon. He's, he's definitely played better than Wynn Merrifield. And I think that, you know, he's going to be able to edge him out. But yeah, as the, uh, as what the same conversation was with, with Guerrero Jr., will the deserving player win or will Blue Jays fans, uh, get the entire country to vote their guy in? We'll, we'll see. Um, I think that Simeon will still get this nod though. I agree with Joe on this. But Merrifield's having a, uh, it's actually a little bit better than pretty solid. He's having a pretty good season, but when you compare it to just what Marcus Simeon's been doing, how productive he's been offensively for a team that's been as dominant so far this year as the Rangers, it just overshadows everything Whit Merrifield's done, regardless of how impressive it might seem. Marcus Simeon, for the past few years now, even with his days on the Blue Jays, he's been on an absolute tear across the major leagues, and he's been so electric and so fun to watch, and this season is no exception. So he's just simply outperforming Whit Merrifield, and I see him making it easily, regardless of the whole Canada thing and how every single Blue Jays fan is rallying behind these guys. I think Marcus Simeon, he has a lot of pull himself being third in MVP voting just two years ago and sort of picking up the pace after a pretty lackluster first half last year. He's on my fantasy team. I'm a little bit biased when I say that, but he's really picked it up. And for the first half of the season, he's just been on a tear. And let me, yeah. I wanted to jump in with one thing real quick. Sorry, John. It's okay. also funny because if you, uh, if you look back to the last time that Marcus Simi made the all-star game, he was in it as a Toronto Blue Jay. So, it's it's funny how how things turn around like that, where you know he goes from you know being a guy who now is trying to compete against the Blue Jays fans stacking the ballot, kind of kind of how he almost made himself in in 2021. Although he was having a really good season that year too, on the finishing third in MVP that year. But I don't know. I just thought I just thought that was funny that you know we're talking about these Blue Jays guys stacking the ballot, and and Simeon used to be one of them, and now he's going up against his uh, his old fan base. Yeah, I definitely think it's poetic justice. And I mean, but for this year, I think Marcus Simeon is going to get this spot. You guys, you know, put it best. Um, he's having a career year. He'd be, you know, an MVP consideration if Shohei Otani was not in the AL. Um, what Merrifield also has 18 stolen bases. He's batting 292. So he's got, like you mentioned, Bobby, some good numbers, but I mean, I don't think it's particularly close here. And if he get, if he gets the start over Simeon, then the MLB really needs to do something because um, I think it's pretty obvious Marcus Simeon should be the starter in this case. But now we got third base on deck here. This one is a lot is pretty interesting. I was going to say um, controversial, but it's just really interesting to think about um, just because this could go, I think, one of two ways. But, Bobby, I'll let you go first. This is the third base position. Josh Jung of the Rangers versus Matt Chapman of the Blue Jays. So this is the second Rangers Blue Jays matchup. And I'll let you go. So I might sound crazy for this, but I'll say flat out, Josh Jung should be a starter. As a rookie, he's impressed me so much. He rakes, he does it all. And the most important thing for me when it comes to this whole Jung versus Chapman thing, Josh Jung's just been more consistent. Matt Chapman had a crazy April, but ever since the last month and a half or so, he's he's cooled off a, a decent amount, I, I, I like to say. 
He's still having, as we've been saying the whole time, people that are coming in second in these races, he's having a good season. It's just what Josh Jung is doing and how he's really emerged as a breakout rookie. I think that is more impressive, and he's been doing it for longer this season than Chapman has. So ultimately, while Chapman is the defensive guru that he is on top of how he's been doing at the plate, Josh Jung has been doing it more consistently. Yeah, with this, I am I am reminded kind of of the um, of the catcher debate um, between Heim and uh, and Rushman, and it's also funny um, because we've we've kind of talked about how the Blue Jays fans are stuffing the ballot and trying to you know get their guys in. I'm I'm sure that there's people all out there also saying that the Rangers are doing it because there's a lot of Texas Ranger finalists too as well. I mean, Jonah Heim, as we already talked about, he got in there. Young now, Simeon, who we just talked about. The difference in my mind, though, is that, you know, with the Blue Jays, you have guys like Guerrero and, and Merrifield who have slipped through the cracks. Like I said earlier, the, the Rangers are having a historic offensive season where basically everybody in their starting lineup is playing at an all-star caliber. So even though there are also a lot of Rangers in, in this final ballot, I, I see every single Ranger in here as deserving. Um, I just wanted to make that distinction because I, you know, I didn't want to, you know, be called a hypocrite by some maybe angry Blue Jays fans who might be listening. I, I think that, you know, every, every Ranger that's been voted to the finalist is deserving. I can't say that for every Blue Jay. I can say it, though, for Matt Chapman. He is one of the players on the Blue Jays who I think undoubtedly should be an all-star. Again, a player who's having a outstanding, outstanding season. I mean, he is, like Bobby mentioned, a defensive guru. He's been one of the best defensive players in, in, in the past generation in terms of the entire league he, he's a wizard with the glove and he's also backing it up with a huge offensive year he's playing fabulously um and again i'm reminded of, of rushman versus heim because josh young is a very very exciting rookie might i add rookie third baseman who is just you know stormed through the minors he was you know the top prospect for the rangers made his debut i mean he he has been absolutely electric and i like Kyle, want him to get on the big stage and be voted a starter and, you know, have baseball fans notice who he is. It's just the same because he's getting outperformed by, by Matt Chapman. And I think that Chapman, you know, throw in obviously the Blue Jays fans voting. But again, the fact that he also is, I think, the best third baseman in the American League right now, I think he'll run away with it over Young. Um, but it would be very cool to see Josh Young get voted as a starter. But again, I think regardless, I think Josh Young gets in as a uh, he, he gets in as a reserve and also is going to be in contention for rookie of the year come end of the season. So I'll vote. I'll go with Chapman here. I'd vote for Chapman and I think he will win it. But flowers for Josh Young. Yeah, I, I really hope that Josh Young still gets in as, you know, a, a reserve just because he's batting 274, 15 home runs, 44 RBIs. Obviously, as a rookie, he's only 25, has had this massive season. Um, like you mentioned, Matt Chapman had the super hot start to the season. Uh, Bobby mentioned cooled off a little bit, but still 10 home runs, uh, AL leading 25 doubles, and again, it's the Blue Jays. So um, I think Chapman is going to win it, but I, I really hope that Young gets his flowers and he's able to um, still get it in the uh, the All-Star game. So now, very intriguing one for this one. I've been waiting to talk about the shortstop debate between Bo Bichette of the Blue Jays and Corey Seager of the Rangers. So this one is very, very interesting. And Joe, I'll let you go first for this matchup. Yeah, this is one of the most interesting uh, matchups 
in in I think either league in, in terms of uh, this this final voting, Bichette versus uh, Seager. And again, this is another instance where both players have a lot of team a lot of their teammates in this final ballot. It's another Blue Jay versus Ranger uh, finalist, uh, but both deserve it. I mean, again, like I said with Chapman. Bobachet is not in because of just Blue Jay fans voting for him. He's in it because he is arguably the best shortstop in the American League this year. Three and a half war, 318 batting average. He has been hitting the cover off the ball, 14 homers. I mean, he's he's leading the American League in uh, in hits right now. He is leading the American League in batting average right now. He is phenomenal, and he deserves it. Problem? There's another guy in Texas who deserves it just as much, and that's Corey Seager, who is having a just generational offensive season, an OPS over one right now. He's got 46 RBIs, 10 homers, hitting 350 in in a more limited sample size than Bo Bichette because uh, Seager missed some time with injuries. So, you know, Bo Bichette is the batting title leader right now because he's actually qualified. Seager isn't. So that's the thing that you kind of have to throw in the fold, you know, that, you know, his his batting average numbers are inflated. But you also think about it. If you want to look at the basic counting stats like homers and, and, R, and RBIs, Seager is keeping pace with Bichette in much less time. He's accumulating almost as much war in less time. He has been more impressive. He just hasn't played as much as Bichette. And so that's kind of the, the big thing that comes into question here. Do you reward Bichette because he's been available all season and has been you know doing it all year? Or do you give it to Seager who hasn't been available all season, but when he's been around, he has been the better player? It's a toss-up in my mind. I, I am a big Corey Seager fan. I'm very upset that my New York Yankees never signed him when he hit the free agent market. So I am partial to Seager, and I want to see him win the bid. Um, but I think that, you know, given that Bichette has been around all year, again, it's not Seager's fault that he got injured, but, you know, Bichette has put together a complete first half so far. He's been great on both sides of the baseball as well. He's a wizard defensively. Seager leaves a little to be lacking there. I mean, most of his production is just being made up by his offense. He's still he's still a fine defender. Um, but I just think that since Bichette's a bit more of a complete player since he's played all season long, I would give him the edge here. I'm with Joe when it comes to how much of the season you've been playing. With Corey Seager, though, it, even though, as you were saying, he played less time, his OPS plus is 180 when the league average is 100. That is insane. But still, with Bo Bichette, his OPS plus is 137, which is still well above average, and being able to do it for the whole season. And as you were saying as well, being a more complete defender, a better all-around player. I really like both of these guys. I love both these guys. They're great players, but... Bo Bichette, we've been talking a lot about the Blue Jays and how some of their selection has been controversial. I think Bo Bichette does deserve this and will win this one. And I'll talk about, I mean, we're going to talk about it in just a few minutes, but it's a shame one of these guys weren't in the NL because I think they were, if one of these dudes were in the NL, they would probably easily win that starting nod over the, the two candidates there. I know we'll talk about that in just a little bit, but um, I'll also ride with Bo Bichette on this one. Even though Corey Seager, if, if there's a position where it's like the first reserve, I guess, I mean, I think Corey Seager could be fighting for that spot with, you know, the, the, the historic, you know, uh, pace he's on. Um, the injury definitely hurt him. Um, if he didn't have the injury, I think you could pro, you could, you might even lean him, but I just think, you know, with the way Bichette's been playing as well, 
Um, it, it's hard for him, I, I think, to, to lose that, especially being a Blue Jays player as well. Only adds to his favor. So we now have one last part to talk about for the AL before we head to the NL. We have the outfield. So obviously three outfielders. Um, Shohei Otani's the DH. So you pick three out of this pool of six. And I think for this one, we can kind of agree on probably two right away. And then the third is a little bit for debate. But I read off all the names. Aaron Judge, Mike Trout, Randy Rosarena, uh, Jordan, uh, Jordan Alvarez, Kevin Kiermeyer, and Adolis Garcia. So we'll start with Bobby for this one. Um, pick your three outfielders out of that list that you think that you think is going to win the starting position nods. So I'll just start off very quickly by saying the two that I assume we're all going to agree on: Aaron Judge and Mike Trout. Then again, with Judge's injury status, it might be kind of up in the air with the technicality when the time gets a bit closer. But those are my first two. And the third one, I'm stuck between two different outfielders who are incredibly electric, and I love watching both of them play. Randy Rosarena and Adolis Garcia, in my mind, are fighting for that third spot. Jordan Alvarez is a stud. He is amazing. But compared to the other players, relatively a little bit weaker when it comes to an all-around approach. And Kevin Kiermeyer, I love Kevin Kiermeyer. A lot of players in the league I love. I watched Kevin Kiermeyer defensive highlights all the time when I was younger, but him being on the ballot in 2023, a little confusing for me, but... I digress. Ultimately, Randy Rosarena and Dolce Garcia are very similar, I want to say, when it comes to their offensive production. They're both power hitters. They're both speed demons. They're both really good at what they do. But ultimately, a Rosarena, even dating back to the World Baseball Classic, just the show he put on for fans was crazy. And I feel like that gives him a little extra pull. And also, the, he has – let me double check. The OPS Plus is 151 right now, which is crazy. And he leads the league on base percentage, 405 on base percentage. This man, he hits homers and he gets on base. Just an all-around better approach, I feel, than Adolis Garcia. Then again, Adolis Garcia, I want to mention, he has had a great season. He is one of the best outfielders in all of the major leagues. But I think Randy Rosarena very narrowly has him beat for that third spot. Yeah, we we talk about this one. Um, I'll get out of the way, too. I think Aaron Judge... um, I think Aaron Judge locks up that top outfield spot and not even because of my homerism as a Yankees fan. Uh, and again, it might seem like I'm going back to my word with the uh, the Seager-Bichette debate with missed time um, because Judge has missed a decent amount of time. Difference is, is that when Judge, you know, I talked about when Seager missed a bit of time, he still put up as impressive stats as Bichette. So maybe you give a little merit to that. But, you know, Seager just, Seager just put up really good stats, right? It's great good stats judge arguably has the best offensive stats of anybody in the league right now not named otani and that's playing half of the first like a quarter of the season basically right and so i think in a case like that you can still reward him even though he's missed a couple of those games and again the injury not even his fault he crashed into an unpadded wall at dodger stadium because they haven't renovated that thing since the 70s so i think that you know he can be a shoe in. He's he's got the superstar factor. He's he's just so good. He might not even wind up making it to the All Star game, given that he's still hurt. Um, so again, that spot can go to a, a third player. Um, but I think that he deserves the nod of being an All Star starter. Um, but now I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I think shock you guys because John and Bobby, you both said you think that we're gonna agree on three play or uh, two players um, to uh, to to be starters. And Bobby, you said that second player was Mike Trout. Uh, but I'm going to have to disagree here. And it's not a slander against Mike Trout. Mike Trout should still be an all-star. 
I just don't think he should be a starter because I don't think he's one of the three best outfielders on this list right now because there's the two guys you were stuck between, Adoles Garcia and Randy Arozarena. Trout's been great. He's, he's again, been one of the best players in the league, going to go down as one of the best players of all time, right? But it's not great for Trout standards, right? I mean, he's he's hitting 250, which is good. He's got 40 RBIs, 70 RBIs, which is or 17 homers, which is, you know, Great. Just, again, another great, solid season for Trout. But I, I think he's being outpaced by the other two. I mean, you've got Adoles Garcia, who has, you know, the edge on him in war. He's leading the league, the entire league, not just the American League, the entire MLB in RBIs. He has been one of the most impressive pieces. And again, that historic Rangers offense, right? And again, we, we've, we've talked about kind of, you know, the frustration with all these players from the same team getting in. But uh, again, I'll say there's a difference. There's a difference between a team that doesn't really deserve their players getting in, but the fans just push them in. But when it's a team like what the Rangers are doing this year, where they're putting together one of the best offenses we've seen in over the past decade, and just just breaking the the, the doors off the off the the stadium every single night, you deserve to have multiple of your hitters in the starting lineup. Because again, like I said, they have several of the best hitters in the game this year. Garcia hitting 260, like you kind of mentioned, Bobby. You ran through some of his stats. He, he's been stellar. I think he's better than Trout. I, I, I would put Garcia ahead of Trout, and I would move Trout to maybe third. But then you put him like up against the Rosarena, and a Rosarena has him beat in war. A Rosarena has him beat in OPS plus. He's got him beat in RBIs. He's he's you know also got better speed on the on, on the base paths. He's leading the league in on base percentage, like you said. And again, he's he's kind of the star right now of the best team in baseball, the Tampa Bay Rays. Never been an all-star. I think he deserves that kind of, you know, spot on the big stage. And so, not a slight to Mike Trout. Not saying that he shouldn't be an all-star. He still should be. He's still, I think, in any other year, is putting up a season worthy of starting in an all-star game. I just think that the three guys ahead of him are doing even better. And I tell you what, I think what's going to happen is that Judge will get named the starter. And then if he doesn't play, Trout just fills in anyways. Yeah, I was just about to bring that up because, um, I mean, you you just said it. I mean, Judge is a lock. He's definitely going to be, you know, the leading outfielder, you know, one of the biggest AL vote-getters, period. Um, I mean, but with the injury he's had, I mean, we don't even know when he's going to come back. Um, so a lot of uncertainty with him. Um, I just think Mike Trout, I, again, he is definitely having a down season by head standards. I mean, batting 250. Um, just hasn't been, you know, the Mike Trout of old. And again, maybe he'll have a, a hot second half of the season, but I think it's just grateful that he's healthy finally, you know, for, for a long period of time. Um, so just he'll, he'll be an all-star. Um, interesting to see what'll happen there. Another thing I kind of have as a wild card is if Jordan Alvarez didn't get hurt either, I feel like he would have maybe taken one of those spots. Um, and I think if somehow he got that, which I don't think, you know, you guys said it, I don't think he's going to be. Uh, an all-star starter, but if he was another guy that we don't know how long he's out for, or I think he, or he's, he's out for a decent bit of time. So if he's not back by then, uh, you know, you could have one of these other guys fill in. So I would say, you know, as of today, excluding the injuries for me, at least judge trout, and I'm going to give it to Adolis Garcia. Um, cause I like the, the point that Joe brought about the Rangers, um, getting that whole offense in, even though Corey Seager probably won't be a starter having him as, you know, a top reserve, you know, he'll be in the game within like the third inning anyway. Um, and just, you know, the power he's had 60 RBIs is already crazy. 
um, and just, you know, getting him back to the all-star game um, would be a great story. So that wraps up the American League. Let's go straight to the National League now. Um, so outside of Ronald Acuna in the outfield, um, we have to talk about the DH in a little bit as well. But let's start with catcher. So for this first matchup, we have Sean Murphy of the Atlanta Braves and Will Smith of the Dodgers. And Joe, I'll let you go first. Yeah, and I mean, with this one, we've said it several times that, you know, when, like, Seager and Bichette came up and when Chapman and Young came up that, oh, you know, this is this is the closest one on here. This is the, the toughest debate. Um, no, I think we can definitively say that it's this one, at least in my mind. Um, because if you look through everything, you dive into the stats, you dive into the team they play for, Will Smith and Sean Murphy have a virtually identical case to be all-star starters. I mean, Will Smith's hitting 291. Sean Murphy's hitting 290. Will Smith has a 148 OPS plus. Murphy has a 144. Murphy has a 919 OPS. Smith has a 924. 12 home runs for each of them. 43 RBIs for Murphy. 41 RBIs for Smith. They've both con- con- they've both contributed 0.6 defensive war. So they're contributing the same amount defensively. And they're both on two of the better teams in their league right now. Like, they are the same player. It is it is literally just, who do you like more? Do you like Will Smith or Sean Murphy more? Because I, I genuinely cannot think of an edge for either player outside of Murphy, his team having the better record. And so I guess I'll say Sean Murphy because the Braves are better than the Dodgers right now. But I mean, seriously, this is this is a hard one. This this is going to be one of those instances where I guess maybe fan voting's okay because I think that in real life this is what it's going to come down to. It's going to be whether Dodger fans or Braves fans, uh, you know, stuff the ballot more because I think the general baseball fans of the other 28 teams are just going to be evenly split because these two are as similar as you can possibly get in terms of stats and in terms of their, their makeup as players. Yeah. When going through both their stats, it was really starting to see how similar they are. As you said, like they're just literally the, the same player, but the th- I, I have the edge very, very narrowly, very slim margin to Sean Murphy, just because of the way that he sort of rejuvenated the position of catcher for the Braves the catcher for for quite a while there was Mets legend Travis Darno. You'll be hearing it later in the podcast. I'm a giant Mets fan, for better or for worse. Even though my thoughts on the Braves are obviously a little skewed towards not too fond of them. Sean Murphy has really broken out offensively. Just he's such an intimidating player. You know, facing the Braves, seeing the Mets play the Braves so often, I get a lot of Sean Murphy, and I will be seeing way more of him this year. Just. He has this certain effect. Will Smith does too, don't get me wrong. I mean, they both are <laughs> pretty similar. But just Sean Murphy, the way that he sort of rejuvenated, added a huge piece of depth to this Braves squad that already is so intimidating and so good at hitting. I feel like that would give him a slight edge in this pretty close race. Yeah, I mean, definitely the closest uh, matchup so far between players. Um, it's just tough because I think there's a couple of Dodger Braves uh matchups later on at least for the next one that we'll get to in just a sec um for me i've been going back and forth with this Uh, i'm not a big dodgers guy i mean you know the dodgers i mean obviously i'm a yankees fan too just like joe and you know the yankees dodgers are the villains of baseball yada yada yada. so i'm whenever i could pick against a dodger i'd love to um so i'll take sean murphy on this one just because um you know coming from the a's 
Um, the A's obviously have lost so many good players over the past two to three years. I mean, you talk about Mark Simeon, former A, um, Matt Olson, who I'm about to bring up in a sec. Just so many players that if they had kept and really tried to build around, they could have had, you know, a potential playoff team. Um, that, that, that could have went and maybe made a run. Sean Murphy, most recently getting sent to the Braves. And you talk about Travis Darno, who hasn't even having that bad of a season for the Braves. And you even talked about Sean Murphy early on. Um, he didn't play a lot right away. Like he was kind of platooning catcher with, with Darno, but they've kind of rocked Darno as, as a DH. Um, and let Sean Murphy just be, you know, the, one of the best catchers in all of baseball. So I'll take Murphy with this one, but Will Smith, you know, even though I'm not a big Dodgers guy, um, I think just, you know, he's batting 291, like Joe mentioned, 925 OPS, um, very well-deserving of an all-star game, even if it's just as a reserve. So I'll lean Murphy as well. So now another tough one. Uh, this one is insanely difficult, at least in my mind. Like, I know we keep saying, like, oh, this one's the hardest, this one's the hardest. Freddie Freeman versus Matt Olson, the, 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 the successor of Freeman um, on the Braves was Matt Olson. So we will start with Bobby on this one. As you were just saying, this is also another really difficult decision to make. Even though one of them is a former Brave, one of them is a current Brave, I really do like both of these players. I always have. Matt Olsen in his time with the A's, he was electric, one of my favorite players in the league. But this is this is an interesting one because Freddie Freeman is the elite contact hitter, or more contact than Matt Olsen, as Matt Olsen has 25 home runs and then 60 RBI, which... Home runs leads the entire league, and then 60 leads the National League. The thing with Freeman is, though, he also has a power component to his bat, 14 home runs as well, which is pretty, pretty solid. So when it comes to a holistic batting approach, a good mix of contact and power, especially with Freeman having 27 doubles, which leads the major leagues as well, I feel like that aspect will give him the slight advantage, even though Matt Olson this year has been on a tear. He's having an insane year. Just Freeman is doing a little, a little bit more, a slight bit more. And that is what gives him the edge in my mind. Yeah, I got to agree with Bobby here. I would edge uh, Freeman over Olsen. Um, and, you know, I think I think this is a kind of quintessential what happens when you have to pick between two players for the All-Star game, right? One player, they, I mean, they're, they're both great. They're both deserving of getting into the All-Star game. Olsen leading the league in home runs, made 85 OPS. He's just been a star in that uh, outstanding Braves lineup. And, you know, he's deserving of being an all-star. He's going to get in as a reserve. And, you know, if there was anybody not named Freddie Freeman in the National League, he should be the starter. The problem, Freddie Freeman is ahead of him. Like we mentioned, uh, you know, just a complete, complete bat this year. 317 average, almost a one dot OPS. He has been great. He's great on both sides of the ball. He is just one of the best first basemen of our generation, a future Hall of Famer, Freddie Freeman, and he's going to lock himself up another all-star starting bid here. Um, I think with ease, I think, you know, people will be attracted to the uh, to the big home run total for Olsen, and the Braves fan face will, will certainly do their fair share of uh, pushing him in. But, um, no, I think that Freeman should definitely get the edge here. Yeah, for me, Freeman to me is still a brave at heart, so I really don't consider him a, a true blue Dodger, even though he's been around just for a little bit on that team. But yeah, I mean, the complete package, Freddie Freeman is one of the best, if not, you know, the best first baseman in all of baseball. Again, if you talk about, you know, compared to the AL, I think both of these guys are more deserving of an, of an all-star starting spot um, than Vladimir Guerrero, 
uh, Jr. or um, Yanni Diaz, but you know they're both stuck in the NL against each other. I'll take Freeman as well over Olsen, um, who has had you know he's not a big batting for average guy. I think he's batting around 230, but you know 25 homers, uh, 60 RBIs. I mean he's going to have an insane season on an elite Braves team, but I'll take Freeman on this one. Next one we have the the, the hit king Luis Arias of the Miami Marlins and Ozzy Albies, another Brave, shockingly enough on this list and Joe we'll let you lead off yeah I mean another brave I mean there's another conversation to be had like we did about the Blue Jays um Braves fans have uh, also stuffed the ballot quite a bit on the National League side I think I'm, I'm going to put them in between the um the, the Rangers and the, and the Blue Jays when talking about fan bases and the amount of players they have in the game um I think pretty much all of these Braves are actually deserving of getting into the ballot except for one Michael Harris uh should not be on this ballot. He he is a peer. The fans just voted for him. We'll, we'll get to the outfield in a bit. No disrespect to Michael Harris, former Rookie of the Year, still a, a really electric player. Just he's having a bad season. He shouldn't be in the All Star finalists. He only made it because he's a Brave. Um, if he was in Pittsburgh, nobody would know who that man is. Um, anyways, I'm so, that was really harsh on Michael Harris. I'm sorry. He, he's a great player. People people still will know who he is because he's a good player. Just I'm talking about this year. He wouldn't be on the uh, he wouldn't be on the ballot. Anyways. Uh, Braves, Ozzy Albies, great second baseman. Again, like, you know, putting up a season, deserving of getting into an all-star game, could even be deserving of, you know, getting a starting bid. But the same thing, like I talked about with Olsen and Freeman, sometimes the player you're up against is just better than you. And when the player ahead of you is hitting 400 on the season, which hasn't been done since the days of Ted Williams, you're definitely going to lose that battle. Luis Arias... 399 average right now, but he's been up and down 400 over the past couple of days. He has the the best chance we have to see someone hit 400 and kind of break that unbreakable record since since Tony Gwynn. He's a one-of-a-kind player. He's amazing. I'm so happy that he's really breaking out and having a just outstanding year like this and that people are starting to notice him uh, because I am. this is where I am going to you know do my, do my own little humble brag. I have been on the Luis Arias wagon for a long, long time, for several years, since he was a uh, a younger player with the Minnesota Twins. I was just, you know, I never thought that he would really break out to be the star he is now, but I always loved, you know, just his contact bat, his just his approach at the plate. He was fun to watch in the field on the base pass. I just always loved him as a player. I always wanted the New York Yankees to trade for him, even before this season. Um, and now look what happens. He's in Miami. He's just having a career season. He is having, you know, one of the best seasons we've seen in a long time. It's an unorthodox one, but I mean, hey, it's 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 really really fun to watch. He should absolutely be rewarded. He's one of the best stories of the season. I mean, he's he's good for the sport too, um, because you know you're seeing him on on Sports Center late at night. They're talking about, oh my gosh, this record he might break. You know, these are the type of things that help grow the game of baseball when you have. A player doing something that hasn't been done in decades, it's going to get people excited. It's going to get people watching him. When you have a guy hitting the ball as much as Luis Arias, it's really, really fun. So he should, without a doubt, be a shoo-in for that, uh, for that second base position in the National League. Lots of respect to Ozzy Albies, great player. He's just no Luis Arias this year. I'm with you, Joe. What Luis Arias has been doing... I can't really put into words how impressive and how insane that is to be batting 400 the first time in generations someone's been doing that. And if you're Ozzy Albies, it's very unfortunate because Ozzy Albies, as you were saying, is consistently a phenomenal second baseman, a great player. 
He can fly around the bases. He gets on base. He's really good in the field. It's just Luis Arias is chasing a milestone that many people thought to be unreachable, unimaginable for ages. And he's also putting the Marlins back on the map. The Marlins are a team that, even though they have a much shorter history than most other teams, in all honesty, they haven't been the greatest of teams. They've been relatively, besides a few seasons, like three or four seasons, they were a wild card team in 2020. But before that, in the wild card teams in 97 and 03, winning the World Series both times, they've ultimately been relatively mediocre. So for Arias to commandeer this wild card contender as we reach the All Star break, it should be rewarded with how well he's been playing and just the crazy, insane things he's been doing. Just real quick, some numbers. So batting 400 roughly, his OPS plus is 161. That is crazy. And his on-base percentage, 451. Getting on base almost half the time. Something like that. Performances that consistently as well. 73 games played as we're nearing the halfway point. That should definitely be rewarded. I mean, if you're a Minnesota Twins fan, you have to be absolutely sick, sick to your stomach, you know, before the season getting traded from Minnesota to Miami for Pablo Lopez. And Lopez, I think, has like, a four or either four and a half ERA at this point of the season. Um, obviously, you know, just, you know, a solid pitcher, nothing special there. Um, Luis Arias is special in, in so many different ways, like you guys mentioned. Um, I mean, again, shot at 400. Um, he's going to run away with the voting for this one, even though Ozzy Albee's already a two time all star. Um, you know, a chance to be a reserve definitely will probably be a third time all star, you know, 18 home runs, 55 RBIs. And Joe, I love you brought up the point too. Um, I think the Blue Jays, um, outside of the obvious ones, you know, I think some of those guys should not have been on the ballot because uh, of the way the, the Toronto fans are able to vote with, with Canada behind them. Braves should have, you know, everyone in their starting lineup outside of one guy we're going to talk about in just a few minutes um, that Bobby's a huge fan of. But um, outside of them, they should all, you know, be on this ballot in one way or another. You know, that starting lineup is one of the best in baseball. They're young. They're locked up long term. Um, the Braves know what they're doing. But for this case... Give the edge to Luis Arias. Now we'll move on to third base. And this one is also very interesting. I mean, I feel like I've said it the last five times. I apologize for, for the repetitiveness <laughs> of that statement. But um, we're going to do Nolan Arenado of the Cardinals versus Austin Riley of, you guessed it, an Atlanta Brave. And uh, Joe, we'll start with you on this one. Yes, this is another very close one. You've got two players who are, again, pretty pretty similar in stats, pretty identical um, for me, I'm going to give the edge to Arenado, um, better defender than Austin Riley, one of the best defenders we've seen in arguably the history of the game. And, you know, they've got similar power stats, similar OPSs. Arenado, he's got a lot more RBIs. He's got the counting stats. I, I would give to him. However, I'm going to, uh, to steer the conversation in a different direction really, really quickly. Because this is one of the biggest, I, I was kind of looking through the uh, the stat totals across these positions throughout the league to try and see, you know, we were talking about, you know, do these players actually deserve to get voted in to the finalist spots, right? And I think of every position across either league, this is the biggest case of the popularity contest coming into play. Because Arnott, future Hall of Famer, you know, putting together an all-star worthy campaign, and Austin Riley, you know, Atlanta Brave, great player, you know, you know, he also should be in conversation. But they're really not the two best uh, third basemen in the National League right now. The names at the top are, in my opinion, I mean, these guys who are a little better, they're just not big names. I mean, one is for Met fans a big name, and Bobby, this might upset you, but 
J.D. Davis is having arguably the best season of any National League third baseman right now, leading them in OPS, 44 RBIs, a 285 average. He has been great for the San Francisco Giants. But move beyond him. You've got guys like Ryan McMahon in Colorado, who is putting together an 830 OPS campaign, hitting 260. Jamer Candelario on the Washington Nationals, who are not good. And Candelario is probably going to wind up being the one representative for the Nationals since every team is required to have one in. But, I mean, these are guys who are putting up comparable stat lines to Arenado and Riley. And if you looked at pure numbers, you would probably take one of those three guys. I mean, maybe, you know, Arenado, he's got, you know, the RBI totals and the defense to edge out a couple of them. But if you look at the pure stats, he's, you know, these... Lesser-known guys are, are a little better, but again, it's Arnado, it's Austin Riley. They're the big superstar names in the league, so they're going to get this bid. And again, like I said, Arnado between the two, should be the selection, but he wouldn't be my selection uh, overall. Um, and I, again, I'm, I'm sorry, Bobby, because it makes me very upset, but if you could ask me to vote for anybody right now, it should be J.D. Davis or Ryan McMahon. They should be the top two vote-getters here if you're looking at your numbers. It's a great point with that, actually. And in all honesty, I'm not really mad about the J.D. Davis thing. I think him and Conforto having the time of their lives out in San Francisco, I, I think it's it's kind of funny. As a long-suffering Mets fan, I've been building character for almost 20 years now. Just seeing them have great, great years after being uh, – I, I don't want to be too mean, but seeing J.D. Davis in San Francisco compared to the end of his Mets tenure, it, he is – Probably one of the better third basemen. Ryan McMahon is also a great player. But out of these two, definitely, I would go with Aaron Nato just because of his defensive prowess. The closest thing that the current generation has to Brooks Robinson, the, the, the closest thing that any baseball fan has to Brooks Robinson in the past, however long it's been since Brooks Robinson last played, just two stellar, otherworldly defensive third basemen, and Aaron Nato backing up at the plate. He had a relatively slow start throughout April, but has really been picking it up since then to put up similar stats to Austin Riley. And ultimately, Nolan Arenado's defense is what's going to put him over the edge when it comes to this vote. So, yeah, between these two guys, you talk about the name value of Nolan Arenado. He had a really slow start to the season. Um, like I was talking about before, had a 600 OPS and only two home runs through the end of April, actually. But since May, he's really heated up. He's had 13 homers, batting 291. And obviously, Riley, an important part of this Braves core. I'll also lean Arenado just because of the season he's having. But, Joe, like you mentioned, there's very worthy candidates in the NL just not getting the name recognition because, like we said before, this this all-star game voting really is just a, a popularity contest along some positions. So now to Bobby's favorite part, we're going to do the National League shortstop position between Orlando Arcia of the Braves and Francisco Lindor of the New York Mets. Bobby, take it away. All right, so going straight from discussion about J.D. Davis and talking about Francisco Lindor and the season he's had, I'm having a great time over here in Mets land <laughs> as a Mets truther. But Orlando Arcia, I honestly, if he's listening to this in the off chance, I owe an apology. I wasn't entirely familiar with his game looking through his stats. He's having a pretty solid year this year, a career year in Atlanta, but I guess it happens to players when they go to Atlanta. I thought he was all right in Milwaukee, but now this year, OPS plus of 120, batting over 300. And with Francisco Lindor, I'm delusional. I still will be voting for him, but I don't believe MLB fans will or if they even should. Lindor does have the, a more recognizable name and probably is branded better and marketed better 
Orlando RC. I will say Lindor has RC beat in the defensive side of the game. The Mets post about his defensive plays constantly, but it also comes with the fact that offensively, for the most part, he does have 15 home runs, but Lindor for the entire season has been very inconsistent. He's been very streaky. There was a while, there's a, a good stretch of time in the season, roughly two, three weeks. He just couldn't do anything at the plate. And luckily, luckily for Mets fans, since he did shave his head, I think the Edgar it was called, he, he changed his haircut all around. He has been playing noticeably better, but for such a long stretch of the season, just, uh, I don't want to be too harsh, but a lot of Lindor's at-bats for a good stretch of time were just not very competitive. He would just swing, swing at almost three pitches in a row. He was going down pretty easily, striking out constantly. But Orlando RC, on the other hand, has had a breakout season. He's been on the map when it comes to shortstops across the league. So, well, I'll be voting for Francisco Lindor, and I'll admit that's a little bit biased, even though he's not having the greatest of seasons. Orlando Arcia, with the way that he's been playing as of late and just his season overall, I feel like he might be getting the nod if player, if the, the fans look at just the, the performances of players. But with Lindor's marketability and just the, the aura around him, he might end up getting it. But ultimately, Lindor probably will be like 2017 Michael Conforto, where the team just isn't very good and they just send somebody. So Conforto is just like the, the best player they have at the time. I, I don't really know because Lindor is the only player on this list that's on the Mets, even though you can make the – the case, well, you can't make the case for Alonzo, given the two players already in there, but I digress. Ultimately, I think RC will be getting the vote. Yeah, I pretty much agree with everything Bobby said there. I mean, uh, you know, Lindor is still having himself a pretty good season, and I think, again, like Bobby said, you probably see Lindor make it into the All-Star game regardless, probably as, as a reserve on the bench, but Orlando RC had just better stats, better overall than Lindor this season. I think it's easy to pick him as a starter. Um, and again, too, like we've kind of said with a couple of guys on these, uh, on these lists, you know, Arcia, he's on the Braves. Braves are a great team. He's having a really great breakout year. You know, that's the type of player that you like to see rewarded with an all-star start, right? He's never been an all-star before. And so now he gets to, uh, be the NL starting shortstop on the big stage in the all-star game. So a nice reward for him having a great first half of the season. Uh, but again, it's just, you know, it's not that Lindor's bad. It's not that Lindor wouldn't also be deserving of this starting odd. Uh, RC is just a little better, but Lindor's going to get in regardless, I think. Yeah, the way RC has been playing, he's batting like 318 on the season. Um, and, but in that two-week stretch, by I think, really killed uh, Lindor's just production for the season. I know he's up to 15 home runs, uh, nine stolen bases, almost 800 OPS. Um, and obviously being, you know, one of the best defensive shortstops in, in, in baseball, but I'll also lean RC with just the way he's been playing. Um, but yeah, you just got to hope. I mean, obviously the, the New York market versus the Atlanta market with, with the amount of fans and everything in this voting. But I, Bobby, I think you can agree with me with the way Mets fans have thought of Lindor this season. I don't know if many of them are going to want to vote him to the all-star game with the way just the, not even just him, just the overall Mets team will be playing, but we'll talk about just a little bit. So we got two more positions to talk about real quick before we go straight to Yankees Mets. Um, so again, in the NL DH, we have JD Martinez of the Dodgers and Bryce Harper of the Phillies. So Joe, you can go first for this one. For this, I think it's as no brainer of a, uh, of a choice it can be. And I think it's JD Martinez. Um, because Bryce Harper, he's a, he's a great player, right? And he's one of the best players we have in the league right now. He's going to be. Hall of Famer one day, but this uh, this year specifically is a uh, bit of an egregious example of the fan vote coming into play because, again, Bryce Harper is good. He's great, but he hasn't played a whole lot of time because he's been, you know, hurt 
to start the season. And so if you like look at his stats, they're just not like all-star level just because he hasn't played enough. You know, I mean, he's got, I think, what, three home runs like it's 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 not an all-star campaign. Right. You are still you know, he's still been playing great when he has been. Right. We've talked about this a couple of times with guys like Judge, with guys like Seager, even with missed time. You know, you can still make yourself a case against the all-star game. But Harper's just missed too much time to even merit consideration, even though he has been good in that limited amount of time he's played. It's just been, you know, the name value of Bryce Harper. And, you know, that's gotten him into this position. Whereas J.D. Martinez has been absolutely electric for the Dodgers. He's, you know, had a nice little career resurgence as an older veteran player. He's just got great DH stats. And I think you can shoe him in very, very easily. This is probably... I don't know if I've said this before, but if I did, I'm going to change my mind. Uh, this is the easiest pick of any uh, anything in this uh, in this matchups. I have to go with Joe here for JD Martinez with Harper. The story of him coming back from injury so soon, and the way that he's been playing, he's been playing quite well. But as Joe was saying, it simply is not enough time to really warrant an All Star finalist bid. But J.D. Martinez this year, I've had him on my fantasy team all year. I won't lie. Uh, I, I had him benched way longer than I should have. I was seeing notifications of him hitting homers for like a week and a half constantly until I finally put him in. But at the age of 35, he's having a phenomenal season out in Los Angeles in the Chavez Ravine. He's doing a great job. OPS plus of 125, so pretty above average there. We go with 16 home runs. I mean, he rakes. He's doing a phenomenal job out there. And hopefully... Uh, baseball fans around the country and in Canada as well can recognize that instead of just going, oh, Bryce Harper, that's a name I recognize. He was the MVP two years ago. He had that home, he, he had a great, a great playoffs last year. So hopefully fans can recognize JD Martinez as a, a veteran in the clubhouse out in LA doing a phenomenal job, a 555 slugging percentage as well. Hopefully they recognize that and vote him in. And Bobby, I made uh, the same mistake. I had also had J.D. Martinez early on in the season in fantasy, and I actually traded him, so not looking too good for me there. But, yeah, I, you guys, I think, hit the nail on the head. J.D. Martinez needs to be in this All-Star game. Bryce Harper missed too much time early in the season, um, and by his standards, you know, he's, he's still batting, I think, like 286, like I think one of you guys said. But, you know, the power isn't there yet. I'm sure he'll really start heating up as the season goes along. But but right now, you got to give it to J.D. So last thing to talk about for the All-Star Game voting phase two. So Ronald Acuna is an automatic lock into the All-Star Game because he was the highest vote getter of the National League. So there remains four outfielders in the mix for the last two spots alongside of Acuna. So I'll read out the names. Mookie Betts of the Dodgers, Corbin Carroll of the Diamondbacks, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Of also of the Diamondbacks, and Michael Harris II of the Atlanta Braves. Bobby, I'll let you lead us off. So... I'll go with the, the first player that it was first in my mind when I was reading the list. I love Corbin Carroll. Corbin Carroll is so electric. He, he The way he can fly around the base paths is unprecedented. He is just awesome. Everything about him. His OPS plus right now is 152. And that's not a small sample size. That's for the whole year. 76 games played. I mean, he is just phenomenal at what he does. Uh, he he gets on base. He can hit homers. He can steal bags. He's just so fast. He, he does it all, and he's also pretty good in the outfield as well. For the other one, I will say very quick, I want to give a shout-out to Lourdes Gurriel Jr. He's having a phenomenal season out in Arizona after getting traded. I, I believe it was in the offseason. If it wasn't at the end of last season, it was in the offseason. 
He's having a phenomenal season. It should be recognized as a reserve, but I think Mookie Betts gets the all-star nod again. Mookie Betts, even from just a fan perspective, out in Los Angeles, just like in New York, that market, he's so marketable. He's one of the faces of the league, but he's been backing up as well. He, he's having a pretty – I mean, Mookie Betts is just a perennial all-star. He's a phenomenal player, an OPS plus of 131 to go with 19 home runs. I mean, Mookie Betts is Mookie Betts. He does it all. He can field. He can hit pretty well as well. And I see Mookie Betts getting that other starting spot to go alongside Corbin Carroll and Ronald Acuna Jr. But Lourdes Gurriel should – some recognition as a reserve. Hey, Bobby, hit the uh, hit it on the nose there. Um, I agree with with everything he said. Uh, Corbin Carroll, as a rookie, already one of the uh, most fun and just best players in the league right now. Uh, he's been amazing. What he's done out in Arizona. I mean, the Diamondbacks have turned into a team that were kind of basement dwellers for the past couple of seasons, and now with you know the movement of Carroll coming up, and you know. Like we said, you know, Gurriel coming over in a trade. I mean, adding some pieces like that. They have broken out in a big way. They look like a great team with a bright future. And, you know, Carroll is at the center of that. And so he should absolutely be in that uh, in that Ulster game as a starter. Even though it's his rookie year, I think we're going to see a lot of Corbin Carroll in uh, all-star outfields for years and years to come. And the same thing as Bobby. You know, I think Lourdes Gurriel also merits consideration to be a starter. And I think that he has checked all the boxes. And I think that in any other scenario, he would also be an all-star starter, except for the fact that he's got Mookie Betts ahead of him because he's having just another Mookie Betts year where he's a top 10 player in the league, Hall of Famer. I mean, he is unreal. He's a great player. And so you got to you gotta get Mookie Betts in this game because he is just having another uh, fantastic season. But yeah, I'd love to see Lourdes Gurriel get in as a reserve because he absolutely deserves that. He has been hitting the cover off the ball. He's been such a great piece in that outfield next to Carroll. Um, so yeah, I'm just gonna just gonna echo everything Bobby said. Yeah, I think you guys just put it very correctly. Exactly what should happen, Mookie Betts. I think for his standards as well. I think his power numbers are among the best he's had in a couple of years. So an easy lock. And, and Corbin Carroll, I think if not for Ronald Cunha being in the National League, really has a strong MVP case at the moment. Um, so. Another lock, so those two alongside Acuna should make for a fun outfield, and obviously Gurriel, hopefully making it as a reserve, as a well-deserved role. So now, enough with the all-star voting. We've talked about every single position. Let's move on to Yankees-Mets. So for this, I'm only going to ask one question. Um, so between the Yankees and Mets right now, the Yankees are third in the AL East at 43-35. and 35. And in the National League, National League East, the Mets are 35 and 43, fourth in the division, and 16 games out of first place, and the Yankees are nine and a half games out of first place. So I'm going to leave the majority of the analysis for our six to eight show on Sunday nights, uh, Empire Sports Talk. So I just want a quick opinion from both of you guys. And Joe, you could start first. Who do you think is in a better spot at this point of the season? Um, obviously both teams have had their fair share of struggles for various reasons. And the division circumstances are also a little bit different. Um, but right now, who do you think is in a better spot than the other? Joe, I'll let you go. I think that it's probably the Yankees right now. Um, and I mean, there's a couple of factors that play into that. I think the biggest thing is kind of looking at the team situation right now and, you know, hypothetically thinking about what they need to do to improve, right? But the Mets, they kind of have their team that 
is going to be the core of the team for the rest of the season out on the field every day, right? And they're just kind of underperforming. And so, you know, you're going to have guys that are, are due for some positive regression that'll, you know, get out of some slumps. The pitching will certainly get better, especially given the fact that, you know, you have a really, really talented staff. It's just been a down year for, for most of the guys in there, like Scherzer and Verlander. But the thing is, is that, you know, that that's that's with that's the fix for the Mets, right? Is that these guys who have been playing all year but just not performing, they need to just turn it on. With the Yankees, the reason that they're really kind of skidding is because they don't really have that full team that, you know, they could have when everyone's healthy, right? Aaron Judge has missed a significant chunk of time over the past couple of weeks. And it was when Aaron Judge went down that the Yankees really started to to skid. And I think fans actually around the league kind of have forgotten that. I mean, obviously, you know, the Yankees have gotten pretty, pretty, uh, pretty rough to watch since Judge has gone out and they've, you know, dropped down the standings and have, you know, drawn some very, very uh, deserved criticism. But before Judge got hurt, it kind of seemed like they were starting to figure it out. They were stringing together some big wins. They were climbing the standings towards almost the top of the AL East, and they, they looked like one of the best teams in the league. And, you know, when you lose a player like Aaron Judge, who's a 10-win player, who is a future Hall of Famer, perennial MVP candidate, of course your team's going to take a hit. And so they did. Um, and they even have, you know, some other just missing pieces, you have Carlos Rodon, who is the big free agent signing, a big, you know, could be a big part of the pitching staff. He's missed a lot of time. Some bullpen pieces have missed time with injury. And then, you know, there's guys that are back now. But, you know, you had Giancarlo Stan miss a chunk of time, and he's still kind of trying to get right after coming off of the injured list. You have, you know, guys like Harrison Bader, who missed a lot of time and are big uh, contributors to the Yankees lineup. So I'm going to say the Yankees because I think that if you look at the teams right now, they're in similar spots, they're in similar predicaments. But, you know, look at look at the help that the Yankees are going to get in, in the coming weeks when Judge comes back, when Rodon comes back, when, you know, Stanton has been in the league or has been back in the bigs for, you know, a couple of weeks and can get his stride back, right? The Yankees have kind of a simpler path, it seems like, to just get some more wins, whereas... The Mets aren't really going to have anybody coming to rescue, coming to rescue them soon. It's just on the the players on the roster to kind of turn things around and take things to their own hands, and that's also very very possible. And I think that you will see the Mets get better as the season go on because, again, like I said, you know, with a, a rotation of names like Verlander and, and Scherzer and even Kodai Senga, who's been you know kind of up and down his first season of the big leagues, you expect them to, to pitch a little better. You expect them to play a little better. And so I think they'll start to figure it out. But I just think that, you know, it's it's an easier path for the Yankees to uh, to get that fix just because they're going to have help on the way. As I stated before with the Lindor debate, I am a pretty big Mets fan. So it pains me to say and it pains me to admit that the Yankees are honestly – in a better place. And Joe was putting it perfectly. Once they get Judge back, who is Aaron Judge, he's just a transcendent baseball talent. And Carlos Rodon to join Garrett Cole is their big one-two punch on the mound. And even with what the Yankees have been doing now, they've been doing a little platooning in the outfield with uh, former Met, Mets legend Billy McKinney and Jake Bowers, who have been putting up some solid, solid numbers in Judge's absence. And they, as, as a whole, just when they get everything going, when they get going together, 
it's been seen in, in in the past few years. They can really get rolling, and they can get hot, and they can get a wild card spot since the Rays are the Rays. But looking over at the Mets, just they're very disappointing. The Mets historically can never be good for more than uh, one year in a row. I mean, you can look at 99 and 2000. That was different. They had Mike Piazza on the roster. And you can even say 2015 and 16. That 2016 team, here's my hot take, where it was not the greatest of teams that kind of snuck into that wild card there, just a very down here across the National League. But just players just aren't performing the way they should. Just Jeff McNeil, one year off of winning the batting title with a 326 average, batting just around 215, OPS plus of 87. Just he cannot seem to be getting it going. And even with the, the pitching as well, here's the thing with the Mets. I'll try to keep it brief so I can go on for ages about just how disappointing they've been. But they can never have everything going at the same time. They either hit, but they can't pitch. They either pitch, but they can't hit, as we saw last night. Justin Verlander, here's the thing with with Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander. This was a big one-two. They're getting all of this money. There's so much hype around them. Verlander coming off of an all-star campaign last year, even though it should have been Dylan Cease. Don't get mad when I say that. That's just my another hot take. But they haven't really been living up to expectations either. Verlander can give you a solid few innings, but it's only a few innings. Last night, he only gave five innings, shutdown innings, which is still great compared to some other performances this year. But only five innings leaving the bullpen that was already – getting a lot of work in in that series with Philadelphia coming in and just Drew Smith getting up the home run to Joey Weimer. The Mets can never beat the Brewers, it seems. So using that as an example is maybe not the best since the Mets just they seem to be unable to beat the Brewers. But even as Buck Showalter's managing this year has been lackluster, to, to put it lightly. And even a lot of the Mets beat writers are criticizing his moves. Anthony Nicomo is like one of the leading Mets beat writers, has been criticizing Buck Showalter's bullpen management, and he actually posted a stat last night. This is the lowest point the Mets have been in any of their past five seasons. The last time the Mets were at least 16 games out of first place before the start of August was back in 2003, where they finished 66 and 95. So to have a season like that and to compare yourselves to Mets squads like that after coming off a 101 win season with so much hype and all this clamor and flushing, it's just pretty indicative of where the team is right now. They're not in the greatest of places. And even the, the prospects that the Mets have been calling up, Brett Beatty, I love the guy, hasn't been doing that great as of late. Mark Vientos, I've been a fan of him as well. He's been doing great in Syracuse, but comes to the major leagues. He's been cooling off as well. Francisco Alvarez, another guy, he can rake. He is a beast behind the plate of catcher. He hasn't been doing as well as he has been even earlier this year, and then just Ronnie Mauricio is going to be stuck in Syracuse for quite some time. The calling of David Peterson again, when you have Joey Lucchese and his churve, Joey Fuego down in Syracuse, you have David Peterson to give you like three innings, seven earned runs. I mean, I don't know what they're doing between Epler and Showalter, trading away Eduardo Escobar for two pitchers in double A. It's just, I, I don't know what is happening in Flushing right now. The Yankees seem to have a, a lot they have their, they have everything a lot better put together. They, they know where they are. They know what they're doing more than it seems the Mets. So unfortunately, as a Met fan, the Yankees are in a better place. And I think the worst part about the Mets situation is, I think, you know, having the highest payroll that they've spent on that team, especially like Justin Verlander, where, you know, five innings and scoreless innings aren't, isn't bad. But when you're paying the guy so much money, you want him to have, you know, some quality starts, um, give the bullpen a break, especially with how bad the Mets bullpen has been. But yeah, like you mentioned, the Yankees are getting some guys back. So I think if we ask, ask this question in a month, we'll have even a better answer because once the Yankees have some guys back and, and if they're still not good, then it's, you know, sort of 50-50 because, um, you know, the both teams have been underperforming. 
uh, for sure this year. So that wraps up baseball. Enough with the baseball talk. We've, we've talked about everything that's been going on in the great sport. So to ending things off on this episode of X's and Opinions, um, the NHL had their awards last night. So we're just going to talk only about a couple of them. Um, just because there's there's a bunch and it's hard to debate some ones that have already been announced. So we're going to talk about one guy first, Connor McDavid, undisputed best player in hockey. He won the Hart Trophy, which is basically the MVP of hockey, um, and it's uh, uh, voted on by the PHWA to so all the writers uh, around the National Hockey League. He won the Maurice Richard Trophy, which is the most goals in a season, and he also won the 10 Lindsay, which is another type of MVP award. So Connor McDavid cleaned up. I think it's his third of each trophy so far in his career, which puts him into pretty legendary territory. And funny enough, for the Hart Trophy voting, he got 195 first-place votes, and it's 196 votes total. But one writer, one NHL writer, gave him a fifth-place vote. That person should be fired from their job. And people are actually very upset on, on NHL Twitter and NHL fans that he was not a unanimous Hart uh, Trophy winner and that someone actually had the audacity to give him a fifth-place vote. So, Bobby, um, and then we'll go to Joe. I want to just hear your thoughts about Connor McDavid's season. Um, it Was it worthy enough in, in your mind to, to win th- all these three most important awards probably um, in hockey for a forward? Um, and just, yeah, your thoughts on Connor. Connor McDavid, what he does on the rink, what he does in hockey is just it, it, unreal. He puts up video game numbers legitimately. Every year he seems to be outdoing himself. 2020-21, he had 105 points the next season, 123. And this last season, 153 points led the league in goals, assists, and in points, 64 goals, 89 assists, 153 points. Just crazy stuff. He is such an intimidating goal-scoring – he has a goal-scoring prowess, but he also can dish the puck to people, and they can score as well. I mean, when you're playing with Leon Dreisaitl, that's bound to happen, getting a lot of assists, even secondary assists. But just what Connor McDavid does – on on the ice is unlike anything we've really seen in decades, I'd go so far to say. So he just keeps he keeps outdoing himself. He keeps one-upping himself, and then he's accruing the hardware deservedly because of it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny when you have, you know, this discussions about Connor McDavid and in awards like this. I mean, it's it's almost a boring conversation always because it's so easy to just say, it's him. He he is just unequivocally the best player in the sport. I mean, there's there's not anybody in professional sports right now who is as good as their craft at their craft as as Connor McDavid is. The the gap he has over every other NHL player is larger than any other you know top player in another sports league. I mean, even even Shohei Otani in baseball we just talked about. He's fantastic. He is doing something generational. And I would still contend that Connor McDavid is is better and more impressive at his individual sport than than Shohei is at baseball. He is, I mean, he was he was a future Hall of Famer basically after like four seasons in the league, which is ridiculous. He's still so young. He's still in his twenties. I mean, he can put together another virtually identical campaign to what he's already achieved so far. I mean, he is, you know, again in hockey. They also have probably the most, uh, the most just easy to pick goat of all time, right? And Wayne Gretzky, I mean, of every player who's considered the greatest in their sport, again, Gretzky probably has the biggest leap over any other hockey player as compared to any other athlete. But 
it's it's crazy to think, right? Because everyone always thought no one's ever going to repeat what Wayne Gretzky did, and no one's ever going to come close to what he did. Connor McDavid is somehow getting onto that trajectory to put himself close to Wayne Gretzky all time because he is just such a phenomenal talent. And, you know, it's it kind of stinks that, you know, the team that he's been on in Edmonton has not always been good, and they haven't supported him and gotten him any sort of a cup yet or, or deep playoff run. But that's probably going to come soon with time. And in the meantime, he's just going to keep raking in these regular season awards because he is just the most dominant player in the universe right now. Yeah, I mean, if you're an Edmonton Oilers fan, you, you got to realize that they're wasting away this guy's greatness. Just get this guy a cup. And I think um, I think he's already a top 10 player in NHL history, bar none, especially with these awards as well. He's entering that territory. But I think what's going to distinguish him to get up to that potentially Gretzky level, if not below it, is is, is the championship success. Because he's going to win these awards probably for the next three to four years minimum if he keeps this pace up. Um, you talk about guys who had other candidacies for this. David Pasternak had an unreal season, you know, having 60 goal season. Um, he only got one first place vote because everyone just knows Connor McDavid is, 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 is out of this world and he had 109 second place votes. And you had Matthew Kachuk, Jason Robertson, these guys finished third and fourth. They had phenomenal seasons as well. So it almost begs the question, should they just make an award that's not, you know, like an MVP award that's just the McDavid award and then award for everyone else at this point? But obviously the NHL will not do that. So a couple more trophies to talk about real quick. Um, this one was a spicy, controversial one in my mind. Um, the Norris Trophy, which is awarded to the best defenseman in the National Hockey League. So the winner was Eric Carlson of the San Jose Sharks. And then the finalist that he was competing up against was Adam Fox of the Rangers and Kale McCarr of the Avalanche. And I'm going to say right now, Kale McCarr is only on this list because of name value, because of winning it before. The guy was hurt most of the season. There are more deserving guys than him to be at least in the top three. So, Joe, I'll start with you. Um, a lot of debate about should Carlson have won it because I think he was a minus 23 or 26 on the season, which is, you know, very anti-defenseman, but he had the historic scoring. Uh, just what are your thoughts on Carlson winning it? Yeah, with Carlson, it's kind of a, a good encapsulation of what I feel like a big debate has become about the Norris Trophy over the past couple of years, where he, he, you know, I think he deserves to win it, right? I think it's fair to give him this award. He had the best scoring season of a defenseman in, in decades, right? But the thing is, is that this is a defenseman award. And, and the main thing in hockey is defensemen are, as the name suggests, supposed to be central on defense, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's funny, you know, you obviously want all your players to be kind of two-way stars and be able to get it done on both ends of the ice, but and again, like like looking across all sports, right? In hockey, you have to kind of play your role, I feel like, much more, right? Like, you know, in in, in basketball, right? You want to be good at defense, you wanna be you wanna be good at offense, but you know, you, you want you want to be good at both, right? It's very not very common that you put someone on the team and you tell them you should only focus on defense. In in hockey Defenseman, it's kind of like that. I mean, like you're you're supposed to be just a great defenseman. It doesn't matter if you don't score a lot. It doesn't matter if you're a big offensive player. As long as you're good on the defensive end of the puck, that'll help your team win. And that's why the Norris Trophy was created to kind of highlight these guys who are great defenders and maybe don't have the flashy stats, 
and don't have the big scoring seasons, but you give them their props for how well they are in their role. That doesn't really always get reflected in the, uh, you know, the, the big stats that fans always like. Obviously, you have players like Carlson, you know, in, in years past, players like Adam Fox when he won it, who, you know, are that good, where they get it done on both ends of the ice, and they still have outstanding scoring outputs, and that helps their case for the Norris Trophy. Um, but, you know, it, it's interesting in this case because Carlson was kind of not, great at the defensive part of being a defenseman this year and it was his offensive game that won him it and so it just it 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 comes down to I think that is whether or not you think the Norris Trophy should just be for who had the best season of any defenseman or who was the best defenseman and played the best defense um I'm kind of split I mean my homerism as a Rangers fan makes me want to say that you know oh it should be about who's the best defender because I think Adam Fox had the best kind of defensive season out of McCarr, uh, Carlson, and himself. Um, but I don't know. I think that – I think it's a fair way to look at the award of just who of any defenseman had the best season um, because, again, when you're when you're scoring as much as you did when you're Carlson, you're kind of allowed, I feel like, to not be great on the defensive end. You know, he he's making up for his – you know, maybe, uh, shortcomings in other ways. It's not like he was a, was a 60 point scorer and had a minus 23 and still won the Norris. That would be egregious in my mind. But I feel like when you have a poor defensive season, but back it up with a hundred plus points, I'm fine with giving a Norris to someone there. Um, so I, I mean, I'm still, I'm not up in arms about Carlson winning the award. Um, I don't think that it's something that needs changing or, you know, people need to think about the award differently. It's just, it's just always a fun debate to have as to whether or not, uh, you know, you believe the, the Norris should be voted on in that way. I'm a fan of embracing debate as well. And I can see where the outrage comes from with Adam Fox. I mean, as we saw just two years ago when he won the Norris himself and could have won it again this year, he on defense is so steadfast in Manhattan, in the Big Apple, 125 block shots, 25 hits. I mean, he's also just around, just under a point per game player, 72 points this year. So he also can, he also can facilitate some offense. But with Eric Carlson, even though he did have a plus minus of negative 26 this year, he actually did have a few more hits than Adam Fox did. He had 33 compared to just 25 from Adam Fox. Eric Carlson breaking the century mark for points, having a career year after only having 35 last year and 22 the year before that, 101. I mean, he had a stellar campaign. And just all around, when you look at, even though his defense was a little lacking, as Joe was saying, he definitely made up for it and then some on offense. So while Adam Fox did have a phenomenal season, as he's known to do in New York, Eric Carlson just went above and beyond and made up for his defense with, a historic offensive performance. So I, I personally, we talk about the Vesna a little bit. If we get to that, you'll hear my thoughts on, you know, the the, the debates there. But uh, Adam Fox had a good season, but I think Carlson giving it to him is not the biggest of deals. Yeah, I think in this case, Carlson is the exception when you break 100 points as a defenseman. Um, I think it's very justifiable to have him win the Norris. I think, you know, people would have been outraged. Um, if, if he didn't win the award, but you look at the, the basic definition of the trophy, it's awarded to the best defensive player who demonstrates throughout the season, the greatest all around ability in the position. So that was not Eric Carlson because like you said, minus 20 something on, on defense. 
Um, albeit he was not on a good team, the Sharks were. We're trying to tank for Connor Bedard um, compared to Adam Fox. And the Rangers had cup aspirations. So I think, I mean, I, I'm a big fan, you know, of embrace, embracing debate and change. I wouldn't mind seeing someday if they maybe split the award, keep the Norris as the, the all-around slash defensive defenseman award, maybe make an offensive defenseman award um, for a guy like Paul Coffey or Bobby Orr and name it after one of them. Now, the NHL will never do that because they've had these awards for forever. They, you know, they're very rigid with change, so it's never going to happen, you know, at least anytime soon. But I would just love to see that someday if that ever becomes an issue. Like, let's say a guy next year breaks 100 points, but he's like a minus 50. Then you really have to sit down and be like, okay, this award isn't awarding the best and most well-rounded defenseman in the league. It's just the guy who has the most points. And if that person was a forward, they wouldn't even be winning MVP because Connor McDavid would win it. So that wraps up the Norris Trophy voting. We'll have one more quite, one more trophy we'll debate, but I just want to read off some of them. Anyone with a devil on it, we're not going to talk about today. We'll leave it to the next Devils in the Details crew. The Jack Adams Award was won by Jim Montgomery of the Boston Bruins. Lindy Ruff, New Jersey Devils coach, came in second. Um, you look at some of the other trophy awards. We'll end with the Vezina, Bobby. Don't worry. That'll be the last uh, trophy we'll talk about. Uh, the Selkie Trophy, a guy who wins it every year. We're not going to debate this. Uh, Patrice Bergeron won it for like the a millionth time. Nico Heischer of the Devils uh, came in second, so congrats to him. Um, we're not going to talk about the Calder just because I think it's another one that's pretty straightforward. Matty Beniers of the Seattle Kraken, um, I think, had the best case for it. I think we can all agree on that. There's really not much debate there. So let's go straight to the Vezina to cap off this episode of Devils in the Details. So the Vezina Trophy awarded to the best goalie in the National Hockey League. Linus Allmark of the Boston Bruins took home the hardware. And coming in second is Ilya Sorokin of the Islanders. And third, uh, potentially future Devil, Connor Hellebuck. So, Bobby, I know you have quite a few opinions on this one. Uh, you can go first. I... I'm at a loss for words. I simply cannot believe it. My beloved Ilya Sorokin, he he, he got snubbed. I'll, I'll say that much now. I'll, I'll, that might be a bit of a bold claim. I am an Islander fan, uh, but just what Ilya Sorokin did this year, he's I mean, he, he's a pretty young guy. He led the league in shutouts with six on a team like the Islanders, who I'll just say that right. I'll say it right now. I'll be honest. They're very mediocre. They might have made the play. They, they had back-to-back years in the conference finals, but now that's over. I mean, I, I, their contention window is rapidly closing with their identity line. But the thing with Linus Olmark is, yes, he did have he did have the best save percentage, the best goals against average. But he's also uh, he also led the league in wins. But when you're on a team like the Bruins, who won the pres- the President's Trophy, and you have the, a perennial Selkie winner, and you have people like Pasternak and Marchand, when the Islanders have guys like Matt Barzell, who I, I won't go terribly in depth with my thoughts on Matt Barzell, but he a little overrated. You have Bo Horvath can only do so much. Brock Nelson, uh, as, from an offensive point, was their best player, and their defense is a lot weaker than the Bruins. I'll say that much, even though I, I love Noah Dobson. But on the whole, they're not the greatest. They have people like Sebastian Ajo. You have Adam Pellick. You have Ryan Pullock. They can only do so much. And Sorokin, in all honesty, was the most fun part of this Islanders squad. He kind of... I would watch Islander games after a while just to watch him. And he also had an assist this season. I mean, Linus Omar did have the goal, but come on. Ilya Sorokin had an assist. That's got to be some kind of, you know, consolation there. But on the whole, I feel like what Ilya Sorokin did for his team, he kind of willed the Islanders into the playoffs to get that wild card spot. It was a dogfight for that seven and eight seed. 
with the Penguins and the Sabres. Elias Sorokin, he was standing on his head night in, night out, getting it done. And I feel like that, this is just me playing some narrative puck right now, that I feel like should launch him over Olmark a little bit, but I feel like now I'm just sort of writing fan fiction. I feel like I'm, <laughs> I'm just being delusional as an Islander fan, but still, Ilya Sorokin had a phenomenal season, and Olmark, in all honesty, he deserves some recognition as well, and lots of it to man this President's Trophy winning team and such a dominant squad that were the 2022-23 Boston Bruins, but that's just all of my delusional Islander fan rambling. I'll let you guys take it from here. Yeah, I see the case as to why people, uh, you know, didn't think Olmark should win and kind of like Bobby lined out, right? I mean, you know, he's on such a stacked team. He has such a formidable kind of, you know, group of skaters in front of him and it makes his job so much easier. And then, you know, he, he gets to the playoffs and everybody kind of knows what happened with the Bruins in the playoffs and he didn't play the greatest. So I think a lot of fans were kind of just, you know, Thinking that it was a bit of an overrated season, a bit of an inflated statistical season by Olmark. But I, I think at the end of the day, he still deserves the, uh, he just still deserves the nod because, you know, you can, there, there's other, there's other goalies in the league who have great skaters in front of them who are on great teams and still none of them performed as well as Olmark. Was his job maybe a little easier than other goalies like Sorokin? Certainly. Um, but you know, he, he still went above and beyond and he still, you know, led the league in, in goals against the average. He was, you know, up at the top in, in save percentage. I mean, he was unequivocally the best goalie and that's what the award comes down to. They don't, they don't factor in, you know, Oh, what was your situation? Who was in front of you? You know, at the end of the day, he had the best stats. He did the best job stopping pucks, even if, you know, his defense helped him out. I think you still have to give him the honor. Sorokin's still a great, great season. And again, like Bobby said, maybe a little more impressive of a year than, than Olmark, um, given, you know, how much of a carry job he kind of did to the Islanders. Um, but again, I think that, you know, it, it's, it's a interesting, again, like kind of we talked about with the Norris trophy, right? There's always interesting ways to approach it. Sorokin had the more impressive season, I think. But I think Olmark had the better just all-around Vesna candidate season, right? He he led in all the stats. He got all the wins. He he helped make his team the best regular season team in NHL history. And so I think he deserves some honor for that. I think Sorokin would also be a great candidate. I wouldn't be upset if Sorokin won. Um, but I think that, you know, it, it, again, it, it, Olmark was on the best regular season team in NHL history. He led the league in every stat. You know, if, if Olmark won and had identical stats to Sorokin, then I would say it's a little, you know, that, that, that's what I think the outside factors would come into play. Like you'd say, well, Sorokin did it with a lesser supporting cast. But the fact that Olmark was still leaps and bounds ahead of every other goalie in the league kind of, you know, makes it in my mind. It, I don't. I don't think about the uh, the outside factors like his like his team like his playoff performance. He deserved this trophy. Yeah, I think. I mean, Olmark was. I think a not necessarily a byproduct, but I mean, being on the the greatest regular season team in NHL history. You know, he was going to win the award regardless. Um, usually, I mean, if Connor McDavid wasn't around, Pasternak would have won probably all the MVP votes as being you know the best player on that team. But 
you know, there's several people, I think, in the top three to four that had a, had a bid for it. Um, I think Sorokin, obviously, he finished with third, uh, three first place votes. Um, Omar had 22. And you had Connor Hellebuck and UC Soros with two apiece as well. Soros had an also fantastic season. People were pretty upset that he wasn't even in the top three. Um, so another guy that, that deserved it. But when you just look at a team situation and you look at the voting, I mean, you are, you know, Cal McCarr and Adam Fox, you know, two guys that run the Norse, uh, discussions you know Alexander Georgiev and Igor Shosturkin and obviously Shosturkin won it last year were seventh and eighth so you know team situation doesn't always play a part in it um but yeah I mean congrats to Linus Allmark he still had an historic regular season but the the thing you have to remember and Bobby brought up the playoffs is it, it is a regular season award I could directly compare this to the NBA where you talk about MVP and Joel Embiid had the, the great regular season but Nikola Jokic again just had another great regular season but in the playoffs he obviously went all the way won finals MVP um, and again, for Allmark, he had a terrible series against Florida. You know, Jeremy Swayman was ended up ended up playing uh, most of, of the second half of that series that resulted in them losing in that terrible fashion. So if, if it had counted the playoffs, no way you give it to Allmark. But because of the regular season that the Bruins had, the season that he had, um, he was the best candidate to win it, at least for this year. But that will do it for this edition of X's and Opinions. Big thank you to Bobby Steiner and Joe Matthews for some expert analysis amid some some technical difficulties, some thunderstorms going on in the tri-state area. We got through it. Um, but I've been your host, John Height, and be sure to tune in next week for X's and Opinions for all the latest in the professional sports world. Take care and have a great rest of your day.